The horses are at the gate. And they're off! Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. And thanks for tuning in to another edition of Winning Ponies. I'm your host, John Engelhart, and uh, we're kind of having a reverse Thursday here. We're doing everything uh, in, in reverse. Uh, so we're going to start out with our handicapper, who is Marcus Hirsch uh, from the Daily Racing Forum. I know Marcus uh, takes this time of the year to cover Indiana Grand, and they have their grand weekend of racing up there with a slew of stakes headed up by the grade three indiana oaks and half a million dollar grade three indiana derby let me check with my producer now and see if we're able to grab marcus josh how we looking i'm right here john all right we managed to get you all right well no problem we're just going to do everything in in reverse so i want to welcome everybody to the show and uh tell them that uh our first guest is uh, is Marcus Hirsch. Uh, he's a columnist for the Daily Racing Forum. Uh, usually goes between the fairgrounds and Chicago, and he's going a little bit of south to Indiana this week. Uh, he's worked for the Racing Forum for over a decade. And last time we had him on, uh, he's also sharing his duties with us as the co-international correspondent for the Daily Racing Forum. Marcus, how did everything go over in Dubai? Welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, gosh, that seems like a long time ago. I barely remember what happened. Yeah, I, I wear a lot of hats. I got had Arlington million a million preview day last weekend, last Saturday uh, that I covered, and then a lot of stakes Friday and Thursday, the two days before that at Prairie Meadows, um, and a bunch of stuff going on at Canterbury too. So it's a busy time of year for sure. But um, yeah, the focus definitely this weekend is uh, at, at Indiana Grand in beautiful Shelbyville, Indiana, where they've got a six-stakes card starting at 5.30 Eastern on Saturday. Yeah, I met you there in person for the first time. We've talked other times on the phone. I was pretty impressed with the facility. How? What did you think of it? Oh, yeah, it's a nice little track. I mean, it's a pretty tiny grandstand. There's not a... Uh, there's not a huge amount of space, but then they don't get crowds most of the time. The Indiana Derby is one of the exceptions. I mean, there's a there's a huge casino right behind there that obviously fuels the entire operation. It's um, no, it, it's uh, I, I don't know the exact dimensions, but both the turf and the dirt oval are fairly small. You know, the quarter pole on dirt is considerably before the home stretch. It's like almost bull ringy in the sense that once they hit the top of the stretch, there's not a lot of time. Uh, to the finish wire, and on turf, you know, you've got to have a horse that can handle a pretty tight course, too. Well, what I liked about it is uh, I've been to several of the venues that have the casino and the racing, sometimes as, as an afterthought. I thought the people at Indiana Grand did a really good job of showcasing the racing, and they put on a great show that night considering the number of stakes they had, and they ended up with a very large crowd. It was very festive. They had things to do. That's what kind of impressed me. I know, pretty sure you were up in the press box most of the time. I was down in the winner's circle working with uh, Jenny Reese at the time and uh, got to see a lot of the action and see how the people were enjoying the themselves and they're having a grand old time and uh looks like it won't be raining on us but uh we might still get wet from perspiration oh yeah it's going to be really hot I, I saw the high temperature the last i looked was supposed to be like 95 or something and then the sun doesn't go down till 9 10 
So the you know the early races for sure it's going to be sweltering out there. Well, uh, you, you mentioned the, uh, uh, the the turf course, and I, we're pretty much going to split the card going back and forth. A, a lot of uh, grass racing. Uh, let me reflect on some of your columns uh, from this week, though. As busy as you've been, you had to cram them in towards the end. And uh, that is Seeking the Soul, uh, returning in the Michael G. Schaefer. Not every day you see a morning line, a three to five, but this horse has a lot of class. Well, yeah, he really kind of... Um I mean, he'd, he'd, uh, he'd hinted at some high-level ability at times, but um, he really put it together last fall, and obviously his big win came in the grade one Clark, um, which wasn't, you know, the, probably the strongest grade one ever. 103 buyer, if, if you follow the buyer figures, it's not high by grade one standards. And then Good Samaritan, who was second, you know, he won the New Orleans Handicap, which ended up being probably not that great a race. The player, unfortunately, broke down in the running, Good Samaritan is disappointed in his last couple on dirt. At Opportunity was third in the clock. He didn't show much last weekend in the Suburban. He probably needs a mile and a half, which he got winning the uh, the Brooklyn, I guess, on the Belmont card. But uh, so you know, I I don't know that seeking the soul is going to uh, threaten anyone for horse of the year. He he is still <laughs> possibly progressive as a five year old because he didn't come around until so late, but. As anyone can see, he looks at the PPs. He hasn't run since the Pegasus on January 27th. That's, you know, the trainer, Dallas Stewart, said today that, you know, he just got, they rested him to point for the second half of the year, which is, I guess, understandable the way he came around um, late last year. But, um, you know, to me, he's a horse that I got to try to beat at odds on. I mean, I'm not saying that I dislike him particularly. Obviously, he's good enough to win, but with, you know, they have their eye on the Woodward and, you know, things later in the year. At a mile 70, the race is maybe a touch on the short side. And I, I just, I remember vividly uh, when he ran at Indiana Grand two years ago, he was one to two in a first level allowance race. He was coming out of the Belmont Stakes and he finished second. And I could see a similar scenario uh, Saturday where this horse gets beat at a short price. Yeah, you pointed that out very much at the top of your story. Uh, another kind of uh, uh, nice story that, that you penned uh, about a guy who's uh, kind of catching the, the, the world by storm is uh, Rudolph Brissett, if I'm saying that correctly. I know I watched him years enough, ago. Yeah. At Keen- <laughs> <laughs> I watched him years ago at Keeneland uh, with uh, – uh, Frenchy, and uh, you know, because he was what most people don't know because of the size of him is that he actually was a rider in France. Uh, yeah, he and was. then it, uh, you know, it, it's great that they kind of scooped him up. Uh, B and Cone brought him over, and then I, I'm around the Mott Barn uh, quite a bit. A good friend of mine works for Billy, and uh, you know, I saw him kind of really growing into his own and of course bill letting him do that uh it, it, yep. was, it was a very nice story you wrote just kind of give us a, a thumbnail sketch of this guy that's going to uh send a talk view to me in the oaks well i think you hit the high points um i met him at fairgrounds when he was there with mod had a string um a couple times i think that's right boy so many years gone past. I want to say that he had a string there a couple of times. I know I met Rudolph or Rudy, as they call it, goes by. You know, basically at uh, at fairgrounds. But I know uh, and and Mott spoke very highly of his horsemanship all along. I mean, 
I guess the guy, I mean, he's been a lifelong rider before he was a jockey. He did other types of riding. He said he wasn't an especially good jockey. I suspect he's fairly modest. I think he stopped doing it because he got so, uh, he got too big as in his season, you know, he's, he's still an exercise rider and quite a good one from, from all that I know about it. And I, I think, um, I did not know before speaking to him the other day that he was the regular rider for a horse that won the Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe, a horse named Dalakani, uh, which is, you know, you don't meet that many people who ride ARC winners every day. And, right. Uh, the, yeah, this guy, the, the guy that trained that horse on the end of Roy Dupre is uh, one of the top trainers in France, and, uh, you know, uh, Rudy worked for him for some years, and then when he got stuck, I think in 2009, stuck in France, waiting to get his visa renewed, he went back and worked for him again. He said that that, that gentleman taught him a lot. I mean, he has a he has a great pedigree. Uh, he told me, you know, when he was at Arlington for a mile last year for the million that he was getting ready, you know, to make the move. And, you know, I figured he'd have it all plotted out. I mean, the kind of the gist of the story I wrote was he really started slow. He, he didn't win many races last year. And then even over the winter, after he'd been gone for several months, he was split between Tampa and Fairgrounds, and he just wasn't winning races. But you knew it was, I mean, I assumed it was just a matter of time, and that's the way it's worked out. He, he's had a good several months now. He had that horse Quip that won the Tampa Bay Derby, you know, and was he's, he's getting a rest now at Windstar Farm. He, he didn't run well in the Preakness, wasn't really on form. He'll hopefully be back in the fall. Then this horse talked to me, um, who Rudy actually bought out of the uh, – she RNA'd at a sale, a two-year-old training sale. He went and bought her, sold part of her to a friend, and then Team Valor got in on her after her maiden win at Fairgrounds, which was a very eye-catching performance. She won by, I think, 11 and a quarter lengths. And she was really good. I mean, uh, she she jumped right from that maiden win into the eight bells, ran into Mia Mischief, that Asterson Philly, who, who was defeated in the victory ride last weekend at Belmont, but that was not her. She's much better than that. She was really on top of her game at Churchill, had a big experience edge and a pace edge in that race, and then uh, and then she went on to the Acorn and ran into you know, the best three-year-old filly in the country right now, Monomoy Girl, ran a fine race to be second. And, uh, you know, Brissette thinks that her first try around two turns could bring out something even better. I, if you look at her pedigree, she's got plenty of, of route blood, um, you know, running through her female family. And and she's got speed. I think she's not going to have any trouble staying. I mean, she's not much of a betting proposition, that's for sure, because uh, she appears to lay over the field. But I'm excited to see her run, and I really would like to see her do well. Well, uh, you kind of led your story with the fact that he uh, emphasized that she's the smartest horse he's ever been around. <laughs> Did he go into any details about what smart meant? Well, I mean, she, I, I worked with horses for a while, John, and, and I was talking to Rudy about this. Like, I mean, the horses' brains are smaller than cows, and we all know that they can be incredibly frustrating creatures with their difficulty in, in figuring some things out and just being completely unreliable and explosive and they lose their minds periodically. Uh, but then the really smart ones, I noticed this, you know, they're just like, they're so much smarter. They, they seem to like get everything way beyond like what the upper register of the possibility would even be. And, um, so I kind of knew what he meant when he was talking about just the way she seems to figure everything out because I've been around some horses like that. Um, 
it just kind of blows your mind. You're like, how could the range of intelligence be this wide? But she just uh, apparently picks everything up really quick. And just the way, I mean, part of it is her interaction with humans. You know, some horses are just, you know, the people are just there. They might as well be stones or stuff that they have to interact with. But other horses, you know, get, they really have, they develop relationships with the people that are around them. And I, I think she's, she's one of those horses. She, she was like the first horse in his stable when he went out on his own, you know, in, in spring of 2017 at Keeneland. And, and then she turns out to be, look this good. I mean, obviously she has a special place in his heart and he would love to see her do well. Um, we're talking with Marcus Hirsch from the Daily Racing Forum. We're specifically talking about the Indiana Oaks right now. Uh, she's a three-year-old from, I believe, the first crop of violence was really taken off of late. And uh, she's going to look pretty much shows in her running style that she's going to uh, show speed. And it looks like there's a few horses that are going to go with her. Uh, who would you consider the biggest threat? Would it uh, uh, possibly be a skeptic who's making, uh, seem to be coming into her own at this point? Because she comes from often. I'm sorry, who, which horse did you I'm trying say, to John? Think, I, I was talking about skeptic, uh, you know, R- Rusty oh, Arnold, yeah, yeah. Brian Fernandez. I'm trying to think of who you yeah, think I, is the biggest threat to her. I don't. I'm not. I'm not trying to beat this horse. I, I, I'm not. I have no interest in, in opposing Takov to me. Um, the one that I, I, and I don't have a strong opinion on the race at all. I mean, if I'm playing a, a, a multi-race wager, I, I'm not going beyond one deep in the race. Um, if you want to try to, to beat her, go ahead. I mean, because she's going to be a near universal single, and um, that could really pay off if you've got some reason to believe that she's not going to perform. Um, for me, if I were looking for an exacta partner, I might try Harbor Lights or Asmussen. She just she ran a big race first time out. Um, she beat the favorite in their common debut last summer at Ellis. Big race first time out this year at Oakland. Um, looked very promising, then just didn't show much in the fantasy. It hasn't run since, but she's got a nice work pattern, and the barn does really good work with three-year-old fillies. She's the horse to me that she could be better now than when she went to the sidelines. I, but again, in my confidence level, and that is not running excessively high. Well, uh, <clears throat> let's put a ring around her then. And uh, I, I thought we'd maybe play a, a pick three here. She'd be the, the Oaks being the middle part. You pointed out in one of your columns uh, that the Warrior Veterans may be one of the deepest races in there. This is going to be a mile and a 16th on the turf. It's one of the many hundred granders in there. Uh, I, I think you came up with a nice long shot that you liked in there, though. Maybe we should mention it and ruin their, your odds. Uh, I don't think you're going to ruin the odds. <laughs> I think K-Mac is going to be a plenty fair price. And, and I do think that he's got a better chance than his odds, even though he's drawn kind of poorly. And actually, just uh, I talked to the trainer for something else completely different just like a half hour ago, Chris Block, who confirmed that I mean, the ho- he thinks the horse is doing really well. He won't, I mean, it's not obvious on his form that he's doing well because he hasn't run a top race in a long, in a long time. But... Um, he hasn't had an opportunity to run a top race in a long time. Um, under the right circumstances last year, he ran plenty well enough to be competitive if he can work out a trip under Julian Le Peru uh, from that outside draw, which I think is plausible. There's maybe enough pace in the race to spread things out into the first turn, which could allow him to drop in and find some kind of position. But, yeah, I mean, that's a horse that I um, I would fool around with to win. And in, you know, like exotic, exactas and trifectas, but 
you know, it's a wide, wide open race. And um, I think that if you're playing multis, you've got to try to construct some, some A's, B's, and C's there to, to get some coverage. It, it, I, I'm going to have to bring some buddies in to spread out in this one, Marcus, because it really does uh, look tough. Uh, of course, uh, again, I know uh, Brian Hernandez won a, a big stake up there uh, last year. I think it was Eagle uh, was his mount. Yeah. Uh, this year, he's up there w- with a couple of them. Uh, he's got this rail horse uh, for Ian Wilkes uh, in there, who uh, you know has basically been an optional claimer horse. It's ground out over almost $200,000. <laughs> I don't dismiss anything those guys bring to oh, yeah. the races. Well, yeah, and 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 John, with and as you know, in races like these hundred thousand dollar ungraded stakes, the dividing line between like a a three other than in this race is, I mean, it, it's very there's very little difference. It's it's going to be about who is sharp on the night and who gets a trip in a race like this. All right. Well, let's go to the top one with Marcus Hershier from the Daily Racing Forum, uh, taking time from a family venture to join us here on Winning Ponies. And we come to the biggest race of the meet, the grade three half a million dollar Indiana Derby that will be capping things uh, for the evening in there. A very interesting race. Uh, I'll be uh, looking for uh, the Ohio bred Dark Vader to do well. But I'll tell you what. A horse who I saw race in Ohio a couple weeks ago that was pretty dangerous is this trigger warning. Now, he's trained uh-huh. by a guy by the name of Mike Rohn, who, believe me, right. is a very sharp guy. He's tearing it up. And they turned the horse over to him after he had done all he could do at Sunland. It, it kind of People were wondering, uh, you know, is, is he just a, uh, a poly guy? He won the the. the uh, Tom Ridge at Prairie Meadows, and then somebody said, well, can't he even get the distance going from six furlongs to a mile and an eighth? Yeah. He put a big old scare into him into the Ohio Derby, I'll tell you. Oh, yeah. I give him, I definitely give him a chance. I picked him third, um, and I would definitely be using him. I mean, I think that, you know, he was a huge price in the Ohio Derby, and that sort of thing tends to carry over. He'll be a price again um, in this race. He, he was three wide on both turns. He, he gave up a lot of ground in that race last time, going a mile and an eighth. And then he just couldn't quite quicken with the top two, um, the last half a furlong. But then he galloped out again in front. And I think, it, I mean, it was his first time going two turns on dirt since he started running on Lasix. And I think there's reason to believe that it, that wasn't just a fluke. I mean, I think he may be a legitimate horse. Um, just to stay with the Ohio Derby theme, the, uh, I ended up taking the horse who was fourth in that race. I picked him to win title ready for Asmussen. He, um, you know, he, ran, he was in traffic, and then he had to be steadied at about the eighth pole, which really happened at a key moment. It cost him any chance. He might have had to win the race. But he was right behind the top three there, and... It just looks like he's going back the right way again now. He looked very promising early in the year. Then uh, ran kind of a dud in the northern spur. I felt like he was getting back, going the right direction again last time. And because of what he showed earlier, he might actually have a little more room to come forward in this race. I think the mile on the 16th is going to suit him. And uh, I think he's going to be a fair price. 
And one more horse I want to uh, touch on before Marcus Hirsch, we let you go for the evening. Uh, King Zachary, lightly raced, but a whole oh, yeah. lot of promise there. A well-bred son of Curlin, Robbie Alvarado coming in to ride, trained by Dale Romans. Oh, yeah. He, he's a horse I think you have to account for. Um, you'd probably agree with that. Um, but, you know, he, he, you were talking about short morning lines, John. He had the three to five on, on the other horse. Um, this horse is six to five on the line. If he's anywhere near that short of price, I mean, I, I couldn't take odds like that. Um, I do think that he's a win contender. His race in the mat win was as good as anyone. I think in this race has run, um, you know, he really, he really put it together in that, in that race, but he's never, he had never run like that before. I think he had shown flashes that didn't make that look like a complete aberration, but it's hard I mean, for me, it's hard to take a price that short on a horse who's only done it once out of whatever it is, six or seven starts. Um, you know, you're just taking the worst of things on the value end there, even if you feel like he's a legitimate contender, which I kind of do, and he's a horse I would use. Um, but I, don't, I, would not, I would not bet him as a straight proposition at anything close to that price, nor would I be surprised if he runs back to that race and wins. All right. Well, we've been talking with Marcus Hirsch from the Daily Racing Forum. Marcus, go enjoy some time with your family, and I'll see you in the press box on Saturday. Yes, you will. And thank you for being so accommodating. Always a pleasure, John. (laughs) I'm like a circus guy. I just keep juggling the balls, and somehow they (laughs) land in my hand. (laughs) All right, then. Okay, take care. All right, take care. That was Marcus Hirsch. Going to take a break, and we come back. A guy I've known since his old days at River Downs and Thistledown, Tom Ham. He's in the bigs now at Three Chimneys Farm. I'm John Engelhart. You're listening to Winning Ponies. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com And they're off! What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with WinningPonies.com The home of the easy win form The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses At most American and Canadian tracks Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races Don't worry, let WinningPonies.com make some money for you Pick, bet, and cheer on live racing from Woodbine and Mohawk Park. Thoroughbred and harness action. The wagers are just the beginning. Watch award-winning broadcasts covering both breeds. Incredible battles contested over the most unique grass course in North America. Experience the full fields with over 130 thoroughbred and 160 live harness days. Get access to free handicapping material and join the ranks of Woodbine and Mohawk Park players from all over the globe. For more information, visit woodbine.com. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com.
You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Englehart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Englehart. All right, and with me, as I teased you there a little bit, uh, is going to be Tom Ham. Uh, you know, but some people say some people are lucky. Well, there's also people where hard work and opportunity meet, and that is what made their luck. Tom Ham did not luck in any job. He worked from the bottom up. Uh, of course, he came from a horse family. Uh, you know, his dad introduced him to racing. He worked in partnership with his brother, Tim, who's uh, one of the leading all-time trainers in the state of Ohio. And uh, now he's moved into a very unique position at Three Chimneys. So with no further ado, Tom Ham, welcome back to the show. Thank you, John. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Well, you know, Tom, it, it's so neat to, yeah, you know, I've got the pictures of you, I think, before you were even married, you know, leading horses into, into River Downs and stuff. And it's so important in this business to get your hands dirty and work from the bottom up and not be born into the game. And you're one of those individuals that I can certainly say that about. But the great thing about that experience is the word I just used. The experience you get at every level and then the understanding you have as you move up in the business of what's needed to put all the pieces together. Yeah, I agree 100%, John. I think it's always best to uh, you know to start in, getting your hands dirty and work your way up so you have an understanding of every aspect of the business. You know, obviously, uh, I got my start at Thistle Down, River Downs on the Ohio circuit. Um, and when I started, uh, it was my mother and I and uh, I think we had about 15 horses and we were basically doing it all. Maybe had one groom and kind of worked up from there and, and t- into the assistant trainer spot for my brother. And then, uh, you know, moved on in 2006 to Taylor made farm and, uh, eventually landed here at three chimneys. Well, all of that, particularly when, when you left the Buckeye state and moved into Kentucky, Tom had to give you great connection with a very, uh, Keep people in the business, both in sales, in breeding, in farm management, and all of that gave you this resume that I think is just going to make you the perfect person in the role of director of stallion nominations at Three Chimneys because that role itself has kind of expanded since you took over. I think because of all the talent you bring to the table. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, when I got here in 2006, uh, you know, I took a yearling manager job, but I did it with, uh, with Taylor made, uh, you know, they're one of the leaders in the thoroughbred industry and, uh, Frank Taylor and Duncan Taylor and Mark Taylor. Uh, I did a lot of, uh, listening and learning when I got there and, you know, they're, uh, they're great horsemen and great people, uh, and great teachers. And I was fortunate enough to be around those people. And, uh, obviously, like you said, made several connections along the way, uh, while I was managing the public sales for them and even there at the farm with the clients we dealt with. Um, and even now for, uh, the people I work for now at three chimneys, uh, Doug Coff and Chris Baker, just a great group of guys and, and made the connection with them during my time at TaylorMade as well. Uh, had there been any talks going on or what was it like when your phone rang one day and, and it was the gentleman you just mentioned that said, Hey, Tom, let's take you out to lunch or dinner. We'd like to talk to you about coming to three chimneys. 
Well, you know, um, John, I, I took a, when I left TaylorMade in the summer of 2017, I went and worked at Whisper Hill Farm for Mandy Pope. Um, and it was, I was down there a short period of time. Um, and it just wasn't the right fit for my wife and I, uh, you know, a long way from home from our daughters here in Lexington and, and where we now, uh, have come to call home. Uh, so I came back to, uh, to Lexington and took a job here at Woodford Thoroughbreds managing their farm. I just kind of had my ear to the ground and was kind of looking to kind of advance out of the farm management role um, into the other aspects of the business where I could grow more professionally uh, and do some different things in the business. And I heard about the position at uh, Three Chimney and I actually, Three Chimneys, and I actually contacted uh, Chris Baker and uh, mentioned that I would be interested. And it kind of went from there and we did have some lunch meetings and, uh, and that kind of evolved from that. Well, well that's great. Now, the the title director of stallion nominations i guess a lot of people scratch your horse and say so does this guy just uh, fill out paperwork of people that want to come breed to the great stallions the three chimneys but that job in itself uh is extremely important and has many levels but since then you've kind of branched out a little bit because of your your horsemanship as far as uh looking at actually active horses at the races potential broodmare prospects potential race horses for the for three chimneys if i'm correct yeah that's correct you know my my title was director of stein nominations um and I'm going to do some bloodstock work as well, uh, you know, recruiting mares, good mares to our steins, watching and pay attention to what's going on at the races, uh, looking for mares that we could possibly purchase or invest in, uh, either to breed to our steins or, uh, or put into our broodmare band. So, um, you know, it's kind of all-encompassing that job. And I, when I talked to Doug and Chris, we talked about that. And, you know, obviously I have uh, several years of experience with the public sales and, uh, and looking at uh, – young horses mares and and uh, athletes to buy so um i think it kind of fit into what they were looking for and as i mentioned uh mr tori alba uh the owner of three chimneys and and doug and chris are great guys and, and i'm just fortunate to be in the spot i'm in well uh, yeah I, th- I think you're pretty fortunate uh as i recall they've got uh, some pretty nice stallions uh standing there and uh i i've got to go ra- i want to get, get through a lot of them i want to get the caleb's posse fastana palace malice sky mesa strong Ma- strong mandate and of course will take charge is one of my favorites but mm-hmm. let's start with gunrunner i mean are you in the process of like chasing mares away that want to go to them i mean <laughs> uh, uh, uh What's well, you know, a gun, gun, well, Gunrunner is obviously a popular stallion, and it's not one that's going to take a lot of hard work to get his book full. But obviously, we're, we're not only looking to fill his book, but to get quality mares to him, to give him every opportunity to, to succeed. Um, he's obviously the six-time grade one winner. Um, I don't think what he did at the track uh, needs any promoting. I think that's obviously earned just under $16 million. Um, he's out of a Giants Causeway mare. And he bred over 170 mares last year, and uh, you know I'm, we're really excited about the future with Gunrunner, and I think uh, I think the uh, future is very bright for him. Yeah, I mean, and I mean, uh, his on track legacy, finishing just twelve thousand short of nine million dollars, and the way that he did it, and uh, you know, running uh, at two, three, and four. Certainly, a season that everyone will remember. But in addition, yeah. he's on track. When you, when you know that that whole candy ride uh, sire line is 
really taking off. I mean, he has become a Cyrus Sires, and I'm, I'm sure that helps. And I, I would say at 70000 in this day and age, if that's still his price, um, that's got to be uh, very attractive to, to some of the top readers in the world. Yeah, you know, I think it was a good price point, and I think, uh, I think obviously a lot of people are excited about him. There's a buzz about him uh, just about everywhere you go. And, you know, I think uh, once he's proven, you know, obviously, um, you know, that'll, that'll probably change. But right now, I think it's a great, probably one of the best values uh, in the business as far as good sires to breed to. Um, so, you know, we're, we're very excited about him. I know. I mean, when, when, you, when you see, you know, Candy Ride on the top, Storm Cat on the bottom, and, and the other names that pop out in his, uh, his pedigree, it's just going to be, it, it's got to be pretty exciting. And you say 170 mares. Now, help my audience understand um, how you manage that. Um, well, you know, we, the Steins, you know, we start breeding around the, uh, 15th of February and we'll go till, uh, you know, till early June, um, try to cut it off in early June. But, um, you know, it's just, you've got to, you've got to get the, get the mares in there, get them booked. We have a great stallion manager and Sandy Hatfield. She does an excellent job. She's been with three chimneys for, for, uh, 19 years, I believe. And, and she's, she's absolutely exceptional. And, I think she's a big part of uh, being able to get that done along with managing, you know, what mares we're going to breed and, and getting them booked and contracts out. All right. Well, uh, I name dropped a couple of the other top horses at uh, Three Chimneys. Uh, again, we're talking with uh, Tom Ham, who's going to wear a lot of hats there. And uh, I want to talk about Will Take Charge. I love that mm-hmm. horse. I got to watch him perform in person several times. I got to photograph him in the morning. And, man, just the way he carried himself, Tom, was like, that's right. I'm the man. I'm the man. <laughs> now, you know, I mean, uh, what, what's what's he like to be around? And uh, I, it, is he attracting a top book of mares? You know, he, he is. that He bred 130 mares last year. He's obviously got two-year-olds two on the track this year. Um, he had uh, his first two winners already So this year. Um, he's a great horse to be around. Matter of fact, the first time he, uh, I had him pull him out for me to look at, uh, it was just, you know, I was almost in awe of just how good-looking of a, of a horse he is. He's not your typical unbridled song, um, although he was a great horse. But, uh, you know, he's a little more imposing. He's just got a presence about him. Uh, and he's absolutely gorgeous, Stein. I don't know that you could find a better looking Stein. Um, and you know, right now he's he's standing at thirty thousand, which I think is a great deal. Uh, just this phase of July sale that we just went through, he sent four horses through the ring uh, that averaged two hundred thirty-two thousand uh, dollars. The top brought two sixty, and the lowest one brought one ninety. So you know, uh, for his average of two thirty-two, which we couldn't be more excited about. And I think I think the buyers. Uh, and breeders are excited about him as well, so we're we're very uh, fortunate and excited to have him. Yeah, I mean, like I said, you know, it's uh, when you see a horse like that in person, uh, it, it's something different. Now, um, breeding season's tailed off. Um, do you allow uh, people to to come and and view their horses? Are there farm tours? I mean, if uh, if one of our listeners want to go down there and see some of these uh, top stallions that you have, can they get near them at all, or are they put away like hothouse roses? No, no, absolutely. As a matter of fact, I just did a stallion show this morning for a breeder. Um, I'm there every day, uh, unless I'm out at a sale or, or out of town at a sale, but, um, you know, I, I try to take them out. Uh, as much as I can when possible, and uh, we also have uh, re- 
Rebecca Nichols that works with us, and she she does it as well. Um, Sandy Hatfield, like I said, our stein manager. We're trying to be as accommodating as we can to uh, to get those steins in front of the breeders and the people that are interested in seeing them. Um, and you know, we do them uh, just you know almost daily. If if there's a need to, we'll we'll do them daily. Uh, we're talking with Tom Ham from Three Chimneys Farm. Uh, Tom, what is a, a day in the life of a stallion during his off season? Um, well, basically, they get uh, they go out in the afternoon and stay out at night, and we have a, a night watch there that keeps an eye on just those stallions all night long. Um, they come up at seven in the morning, um, and they're up uh, during the day, and then they go back out about one in the afternoon. Uh, and you know, we try to schedule our shows um, between ten thirty and one o'clock in the afternoon. Um, you know, to let the horse not to change their schedule any more than necessary, and kind of keep them on a normal routine. Now, with the recent heat wave that we had, <clears throat> is there any change in their schedule, or are there certain things that Three Chimneys does to make sure that they're they're uh, cool, calm, and collected? Shall I say? Yeah, you know, we take we take precautions, and we have uh, you know, in the winter time and during severe weather, we have different uh, different uh, blankets for different temperatures. You know, a little little lighter blanket if it's if it's going to be in the forties, rather than if it was down in the teens. You know, we have different blankets in the summertime. Uh, you know, uh, Sandy manages that, but for the most part, they stay on their normal routine, unless, of course, uh, we're looking at storms and lightning and those kind of things. And then, uh, from what I've been told, uh, with my short time here, Sandy's uh, a real good watchdog, and they don't go out when it's going to lightning or storm. Well, uh, Tom, uh, we, we got a couple of minutes left. Why don't you reflect on uh, some of the stallions I haven't brought up, like Caleb's Posse, Fast Anna, Palace Malice, I Mesa, or Strong Mandate? Okay. Yeah, I'd like to talk a little bit about Strong Mandate and Palace Malice. You know, they had very strong sales. Strong Mandate stands for 10,000. He bred 108 mares last year. Uh, the Phasic July sale, he had the top sell in Philly that sold for 435,000. Uh, he averaged 220,000. Um, him and Will Take Charge are one and two respectively. Will Take Charge and he, I should say, are one and two respectively among second crop sires of yearlings in 2018. Um, you know, so he, he, we're obviously very pleased with him. He had his first winner in Will Strong recently. Um, and, you know, so we're excited about him. And Palace Malice is uh, also one we're very excited about. He stands for 20, the son of Curlin. Um, you know, he had a, a huge sale in July as well. Um, he averaged 187,500 for his yearlings. Um, you know, just very excited about him. He covered 275 mares in his first two books. Um, you know, so those two steins are, are you know, they're, they've got yearlings out, but we're really excited about them, and, and they're selling well. And I think uh, based on the July sale, I think uh, the buyers are excited about them as well. All right, Tom, this is probably a, a trick question, but I'm going to ask it anyhow. A horse like Palace Malice, where Todd Pletcher went on record saying that he was the most versatile horse he had ever trained and one of the best. Do you find that there's any trend that people these days, now when we're talking about Three Chimney, we're talking about moving your game up, are looking for speed, stamina, soundness, or pedigree? You know, I think... Uh I think a little bit of all of those, but I think uh, I think they're looking for uh, uh, a horse that has a good pedigree that uh, looks like they're going to be sound and obviously can carry their speed over a distance. I mean, I think that's that would ideally be what what breeders are looking for and what buyers are looking for. Um, and I think uh, 
you know, I think um, Palace Malice and Strong Mandate give you an opportunity for both of those. And, you know, Palace Malice, uh, you know, he won the, um, the Met Mile and the Belmont Stakes. So, you know, I think um, I think he's a great stein. And, and again, uh, Strong Mandate as well. I think uh, I think he's, you know, he's got three grade one winning bands in his pedigree, and, and he's a grade one winner. So, um, you know, very excited about those two. Um. <clears throat> I always kind of felt sorry for Fast Anna. I, I always thought that he was a stallion that kind of felt like uh, he was a boy named Sue. <laughs> uh, but yeah. it, 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 come, it comes out of his really good uh, mare, uh, Dreaming of Anna. Um, you know, I, re- I remember her. It seems like uh, she was racing like yesterday. And, of course, uh, Medaglia Oro. I think he's solid at like 350 or 250000 and then a budget yeah. on that stud fee and certainly the performance of his horses have, have proven it uh, I, I've got to think that uh, you know he's probably turning a few heads too you know he is he's uh, he's uh, got some really nice looking yearlings that I've looked at uh, saw a couple of good looking ones uh, today on our farm and some out at the July sale um, he's obviously by Medagador, and I, I believe his fastest son. Uh, he was second by neck in the King's Bishop, and uh, obviously had a shortened racing career. Um, but uh, I think he's a very promising sign. He's getting good-looking foals, and I think uh, we're expecting big things from him as well. Well, uh, Tom Ham, it, it's been great for you to be able to take time out of your schedule. I know it's time to go feed the dog and things like that that you have to do on a personal level. But, uh, you know, I just I really enjoyed, uh, A, talking with you, and I really enjoyed, B, pulling up the press release that announced your new position uh, at Three Chimneys. And, and you're, you're the right man at a lot of different levels. I respect what you've done throughout your whole career. I hope you find a long home there, and I hope they realize exactly how lucky they are to have you. Well, great. I appreciate it, John. As always, it's great talking to you. It's always good talking to, to old friends and people who I knew back when, uh, when I was hot walking. <laughs> so, uh, so it's great. I, I appreciate you having me on there, and uh, you know, I'm excited about the position at Three Chimneys, and I'm looking forward to a long, successful career there. All right. Well, I'm going to be giving you a call, Tom. You know me. I want to come down there with my camera and see some of those uh, some of those stallions you got. But I'm going to I'm going to wait till the weather gets a little cooler. It's not breeding season, and you guys aren't too busy. That sounds great. Anytime. Just let me know, John. Okay. Oh, and by the way, I just want to let you know I had my picture taken with your father a week ago, handing him a trophy after winning the stakes race at Belterra Park. That's awesome. I hope I'm uh, able to do it as long as he is. He's he's hanging pretty tough. <laughs> I'm telling you what, Tom, Ed, as he's called, he looks younger every year I see him. I think the more work he does, the younger he gets. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think as long as he's staying busy, he's happy and he's and he's healthy. I, like I said, hopefully I can have the same luck uh, as my career goes on. <laughs> he's doing great though. <laughs> Well, you got good DNA, I can tell you that. We've been talking with Tom Ham. He's now down at Three Chimneys Farm, uh, working with all the great stallions down there. We're going to take a, a little bit of a break, and when we come back, we're going to start the show. That's right. We did everything in reverse tonight. We're going to go look at the national news. Right now, we're going to take a little bit of a break. I'm John Engelhart. You're listening to Winning Ponies.
the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. And they're off! What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, porters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Pick, bet, and cheer on live racing from Woodbine and Mohawk Park. Thoroughbred and harness action. The wagers are just the beginning. Watch award-winning broadcasts covering both breeds. Incredible battles contested over the most unique grass course in North America. Experience the full field with over 130 thoroughbred and 160 live harness days. Get access to free handicapping material and join the ranks of Woodbine and Mohawk Park players from all over the globe. For more information, visit woodbine.com. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and like I said, we're doing the show in reverse, so... This is the top of the show, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, remember, a lot of good racing from coast to coast, and the thing that will help you the most are Winning Ponies Easy Wind Forms. Had some solid wins last week. I'm going to take you all over the country. Let's start up north at Woodbine, 4th of July. I don't think they celebrated it up there, but... They celebrated it if you had a $1 pick four from Winning Ponies. That paid $1,482. Let's go about as far away as you can from Woodbine. Down to Cajun Country at Delta Downs the day after. A $1 Super paid $1,442. Then we'll go to the middle of the country, Laurel, next day. Now we're up to July 6th. And uh, a $1 Super 5 Key with our Easy Win Forms. Uh, Paid $1,691. And just today at Gulfstream Park, started with the fourth race, a $1 Super 5, paid $2,183. So not only do we give you top handicappers and their selections, but you add the information for the easy win forms, and hopefully you become an easy winner. All right, well, we spent time with our guest. Now it's time to get to national news. And we have not mentioned the name of the 800, actually the 1,200-pound gorilla in the corner, Justify. As we found out this week, after, I believe, a breeze, 
that he had filling in his ankle. So he's been inspected, um, and they did find filling in his ankle. They say Baffert's saying it comes and it goes, and it comes and it goes, but it's recently developed. And so they, they checked him out, and it's like, well, this isn't, you know, at this point, <coughs> career ending, but we've got to evaluate it. So they're going to come back in two weeks <coughs> and look at it again. He's certainly not unsound, but he's never carried any filling before, you know, according to Baffert. And so he's going to go ahead and, and ship him to, to Del Mar with the rest of his string and just go on with the schedule. But uh, obviously, they put out a press release uh, with Windstar. And uh, here are the words of Elliot Walden, who said, To go from a maiden winner in February to an undefeated Triple Crown winner in June has been an incredible ride. He's too special to the owners, our team, and all the fans that he has around the world not to be 100% healthy. As far as any future plans for him, they will be decided after we get him checked out. He's an amazing horse, and we're blessed by his presence. And we were blessed by his presence, too, all the way through the Triple Crown. And so we'll hope that, A, it's not serious, B, he comes back to racing, and C, if he does have to be retired, he's going to have a great career at stud. Now, Laminitis did claim a, a horse that used to hit the headlines, oh, I think it was 12 years ago. Do you remember the Green Monkey? He cost $16 million. It's a world record for a thoroughbred at public auction. He just didn't make it at the races, and he was retired to stud uh, down in Florida. And that was quite the story back in the day. And uh, they were going back and forth and back and forth and between uh, uh, Coolmore and another entity. I forget at the time exactly who it was. They weren't going to give up. So finally, they went to $16 million. So he, he did stand stud, uh, but never set the world on fire. He was a son of forestry, and uh, he was uh, – buried down in the farm of Hartley D. Rienzo Thoroughbreds in Florida. So the Green Monkey, an interesting story. Okay, uh, Naira, the riders are going to get pay. You know, we talked with Terry Meeks a couple months back about uh, their debate with Naira and the things that were going on there. And it looks like now that the Naira riders are going to get a bit of a push in uh, in what they earn for their money. Of course, they're riding at the top level. Uh, you know, jockeys now on horses who finish fourth will receive at least $125. And then purses under $50,000, It's a sliding scale, but it's certainly better than what they were getting. And I'm glad that Naira is, is working with the uh, Jockeys Guild. And they're also upgrading their increase to their contribution to the permanently disabled jockeys fund from seventeen thousand to twenty thousand annually. So that that's good to know that the jockeys are getting their due. Okay, we had a slew of racing last week. Let's get to it if we can, and we'll start with the races that we handicapped with Eric Wing at Belmont Park, and uh, we that all began in the sixth, the Dwyer Stakes. Went to Ferenz Fire, trained by Jason Service. Uh, was just uh, stalked for half a mile and blew the field away in this one-mile grade three event. 
by nine lengths. Of course, a lot of interest in the favorite went to Mendelssohn, the uh, Aiden O'Brien shipper who ran dismal in the Kentucky Derby, uh, came back and ran third, had the lead at the three-quarter pole, but just kind of uh, faded a little bit there. Uh, then on to the next race, the Belmont spent sprint, grade two, seven furlongs. What a race this was. We said they were going to meet in the middle. Whitmore stretching out just a little bit. Limousine liberal coming back. And what a race it turned out to be. It was a great finish. And getting the job done, it was Jose Ortiz aboard Limousine Liberal besting Ricardo Santana, who was on Whitmore. Then in the Belmont Oaks Invitational, hope you had the try. 50 cents will get you 1220 Four dollars. That's right. Long shots ruled, and uh, the winner, number six, Athena, an Irish bred from the Aiden O'Brien barn with Ryan Moore up. Uh, he he went off at ten to one, and then at eleven to one, it was uh, the way I am at and third was Chipolata, a French bred, who. Uh, Went off at 36 to 1. Again, 50 cent try, 1,224. Long shots prevailed again in the Suburban. Grade 2, the winner in here, breaking from the 10 hole, Diversity, wire to wire, 1 by 6 over the Lieutenant at 34 to 1. In the third spot was Discreet Level and 955 for that 50 cent try. Then we moved on to the Belmont Derby. Great finish in here. Catholic boy coming back. Great ride by uh, Javier Castellano. Got passed in the stretch and then came back, fought hard to get the win over the favorite, analyze it in the Belmont Derby. So those were the big races from Belmont. And then, of course, we went to Arlington real quick, if I got some time. The American Derby, well, American Derby, God bless America, went to Real Story going wire to wire, paying sixteen eighty. The Modesty Handicap uh, was uh, Daddy's Little Darling finally won because they found out I didn't bet it. Our friend Brian Hernandez Jr. was in the saddle for that one. The Hatouf went to Colonial, and uh, that's pretty much all the race action we can give you because it's time to close things out. Want to thank Marcus Hirsch. Want to thank Tom Ham. Want to thank Josh by Gosh, my producer, and I want to thank all of you listeners here on Winning Ponies. Don't forget, pull down the easy win forms when you go to the races this weekend. Gave you some good horses, Indiana. Bet with your head, not over it. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network.